You're listening to The View From Up Here, an equipping podcast by Viewpoint Leadership and Development. Our vision is to cultivate a change in the way the world views leadership and development. And our mission is to foster better leaders through a modern approach while developing individuals into their true selves. My name's Brad Walbridge, your host for our time together. And joining me in our conversations is our president and founder, Josh Trout, and our COO, Joel Archery. Hey, want to welcome back our listeners, our viewers to the View from Up Here podcast. With you as always, I'm Brad, joined by Joel, Josh, and today we have Thornton Kirby. Thornton, welcome. Thank you. Thornton is the CEO and president of the South Carolina Hospitals Association, and I wanted to have you just share a little bit with us about what does family life look like, who's at home, um, and a little bit about how you got connected to the association. Sure. Glad to do that. Thank you for having me. Uh, so who's at home? Right now, it's just my wife and I who are at home. Okay. We have two kids. Uh, they are uh, 22 and 19. The yeah. daughter just finished Walford College in December, and she is, has, is a French major, was a French major. She's now uh, in graduate school in France, where she finished the last year and a half of, wow. of Walford. And she's in Bordeaux, France, and she is in a uh, master's in international business program over there and wow. having a great time um, and has become fluent in French and in all things French, so uh, <laughs> including wine. She's learning about wine, and, and uh, she's having a great time. And our son is a freshman at Lander okay. University, and he is big into cars and hmm. mountain bikes. He uh, was a <clears throat> national champion downhill mountain biker at 14, so wow. he is big 14. into the big jumps and going oh, down wow. hills really fast. He goes to ski slopes like Whistler and in, mm. in the summer when there's no snow yeah. and just goes top to the bottom. So wow, he lives on the edge a little bit. But <laughs> okay. he's a great guy. My wife is a, a nurse by training. She was a hospital administrator mm. uh, before you got to the state, Josh. She mm. ran. Uh, she was with Greenville Hospital System for a while, then mm. Palmetto Health opened a hospital in Columbia and <clears throat> took a few years off when our um, caring for our kids and her parents. Uh, who were ill, and now she's back as a labor and delivery nurse in Columbia, delivering babies. Right. So, awesome. yeah, having fun. Helps yeah. when your son is into mountain biking. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Have a nurse. To have a nurse yeah. around. Yeah. yeah, just in case. Yeah, just for in stitches case. and yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, it, yeah. does does she cringe a little bit whenever she watches him him oh, compete? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I bet. Our daughter was a swimmer, so not as many injuries <laughs> yeah, swimming as in yeah, a little much safer in the water. That's exactly right. That's right. So with the association, how did you get connected to, you've been there 18 years, is yeah, that right? this is my wow. 19th. So um, interestingly, so I was a, a practicing attorney in Columbia with okay. a law firm as a healthcare lawyer working for hospitals uh, like Josh's, and one of our clients was the hospital association. Mm. Okay. And we also gave a lot of time to try to help, you know, hospital association issues. And so I knew them, uh, knew a lot of the people there and worked with the hospital association some, but practiced law for a while, then went to work as a hospital administrator and eventually came back to this role when this job came open. Uh, I can tell you more about that, the details of that if you want, career progression. But yeah. So I've known about the hospital association since uh, the late 80s, early 90s. And what is, the, what is the association's goal? Like, what is the focus for the, the association? The, that's a great question. The hospital association um, is the collective voice for hospitals in the state. Mm -hmm. All the hospitals in the state are members, and our role is to 
work with the state's General Assembly, the governor, all his cabinet agencies, the regulatory agencies, and communicate on behalf of hospitals. It's mm -hmm. not efficient for Josh and his team to have to go to the state house every time somebody talks about a health care issue. Right. Um, and that, over the last you know, four or five decades, that's just multiplied. Uh, he would have someone there every day in the state agencies and the right. state house. So that's what all states use their hospital associations for. There is a national uh, organization called the American Hospital Association, just like the American mm -hmm. Medical or Nursing Association. Okay. So we all do the same thing. We represent the industry to um, policymakers and mm. and regulatory agencies. Yeah. In in doing the research, I noticed that there there is a focus, a primary focus for representing the hospitals, but also a focus on uh, the the patient care, like the the advising of and the uh, advocating of how patients are cared for. And I feel like that would be a delicate balance because hospitals want to care for people, but they they do need to have the finances to be able to do that, but also people need care and the, the standards with which to be able to care for people well. That's and, right. And the balancing between that. So. You're exactly right. The, the, the way a lot of hospitals have sum, summarized that over the years is um, we are in a mission business. We take care of people. Right. But, if, but there's no mission without money. Yeah. You have to, it's a business, <laughs> and you have to have the two. So the, the, this nation, like all developed nations, is constantly balancing how much money are we going to spend on health care for the level of services we want to see our population have. And so I, I feel like my role, the hospital association's role, is really at the intersection of caregiving and policy making. Mm -hmm. So I don't do either one of them. I'm not the caregiver. I'm not the policy right. maker. But we've got to make sure there is a, a, a conversation going on and, and that those two things are linked appropriately. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned patients. I would be remiss if I didn't say the reason I get up and go to work every day is not because I want to engage in, in political debates in right. the State House. It's more because people like Josh and his colleagues are willing and desirous of improving care for their patients. And there's so many ways that we could work better together to improve uh, handoffs, transitions between care, learning from each other how we are treating certain diseases. Um, there, there's so many ways to improve care. Mm -hmm. South Carolina's hospitals actually have become, in the last decade or, or two, national leaders in mm -hmm. improvement of quality and safety of care. Mm -hmm. um, we have a zero harm initiative that, that I think is the most robust in the country where Absolutely. we are focused on making sure that we don't do anything that causes harm to patients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that it sounds kind of obvious, right? But mm -hmm. healthcare is a very complex mm -hmm. endeavor. And you there, each person is different. It's not like working on a car. So the, um, the challenges in getting it right every time are pretty significant. And our hospitals are really working hard to remove errors um, in, in care. So we're really proud of that. That's what gets me up in the morning makes me want to go to the to the uh, to the workplace is the um, the desire to make care better and we we are for example we were national leaders in improving heart attack care and mm. reducing surgical harm uh, there are so many things we've done that that I'm proud of that really aren't government related right mm. so with the complexities of all that you know both on the working with government side working with hospitals um, driving those initiatives. What, what have you feel like over the, over the 19 years that you've been in your leadership role, how have you been able to balance all of that, the tension of all of those pieces coming to gear, together and the complexities of all that? So like your, your leadership style through that, is it 
Is it that you're a relational leader? Is it you're a driving leader? What, how would you unpack your leadership style? Yeah, th- thanks for asking that. I'm, I am very much a relational um, leader and a consensus I that. leader. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, this, is, this is the right state to be a relational leader, right? Mm. We were oh, talking about this before. Amen, yeah. It's, this state is big enough mm. to be um, a meaningful um, place to experiment and learn for yeah. 5 million people, but it's mm-hmm. small enough for people to know each other and have mm. personal relationships. Sure. Yeah. So relationships are key. I feel like my job on behalf of Josh and his colleagues is to represent them and their interests and their patients' interests to the state, business, government, and whatever, but also to create a sense of community among Josh and his mm-hmm. colleagues yeah. so that we can pick up the phone and call each other and we're not strangers to each other. Right. Yeah. That is critically important during a hurricane, for example, Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. when we got to get people off the coast. Mm-hmm. I've got to say I've got a, um, a rehab hospital on the coast and they need to get their patients out of harm's way. I need them to be able to call Josh and say, hey, Josh, I need right. five beds. And Josh is like, I got you covered. Yeah. This is not a stranger calling a stranger. This mm, is no. somebody who knows someone else. So yeah. that's part of it. But I also think the um, if there's one thing that we mentioned before, it's patient-centeredness. Mm. We are not in the business of making money as hospitals. We're in the business of taking care of people, human mm. beings. And as lo- the hardest things we've had to deal with have been easiest to solve when we have kept our eye on the patient. What is in the patient's best interest? And Josh and his colleagues, they all are in business. It's kind of cooperative um, competition, you know, Mm -hmm. coopetition, if you want to. (laughs) But when you talk about patients, there is no competition in that. Mm. It's what is best for patients. And that is what um, I love most about this hospital community. They're going to do what's right for patients Mm -hmm. and then compete after that. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's part of my job is to keep, Mm -hmm. you know, inculcating that kind of mindset. Yeah. Josh, from your standpoint in your role, yeah. how has that relationship, how has that uh, impacted you and really even your staff? Yeah, tremendous. Environment? You know, I, it, first of all, from a leadership perspective, yeah, relational without a doubt, but also connector. I would yeah. say connectors, you know, for you as an individual, but obviously for your role, you know, the, the, con- the connector piece has been very beneficial, um, not only through Thornton, but through the association itself, you know, coming into South Carolina from Pennsylvania, building a physical hospital, right, then building a team, there, there's there's the, the main parts of the job that you got to do on a day in and day out, but we started from scratch, mm-hmm. right? And that just brings a whole different level of challenges. And I could tell you that it would not have been uh, is is smooth or we would not have been as successful without the association because exactly with with the association but specifically your leadership having that person I can text or have a call and say I got a question or I need help you're absolutely right it's nice that you have connected us all and some of us are competitors like you've said right mm-hmm. but yeah. but we're there for each other when that time's needed and I feel like you guys are the glue Right. Mm. Um, so the association plays such a vital role uh, in, in our healthcare system locally. What advocacy are you looking for most in in your position yeah. for the association to to do to be to be the voice up for you on a daily yeah, basis? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, well, that's there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, currently, uh, you know, we're we're talking about the CON, right? Their certificate mm-hmm. of need. Um, so that's you know a process on you just can't come into a state that has a CON and just build. 15 hospitals if you want. There's ha- there has to be a need for that. Um, and there's a lot going on in the state right now with that. And, you know, we've been blessed to build this hospital. And so quickly we have, ex- we need to expand. 
Yeah. You know, um, so working on getting those, uh, you know, expanded beds is something that I'm currently in the process. And Thornton's been a great advocate for that and talking through that. And there's a lot of benefits to the CON. And there's some that, you know, there's some things that make things a little bit harder. Um, but we can't, like, like Thornton mentioned, I can't go and fight for that. Right. I just can't do it. We don't right. have the time, the resources where the association has that and they advocate for us. But again, no matter what, we all have different interests, right? And what we got to do and our, what we, our ultimate goal, but they're able to kind of take those pieces and, and advocate for us, but also keep what's best in mind for the state and for the citizens of the state, not just because we want to grow, grow, grow. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Um, so I, I can't do that. I can't do that by myself. That's yeah. that's what yeah, if I had to answer the question for all his peers, I would say they generally want to make sure that the um, the state's laws and policies and regulations don't mm-hmm. interfere with their ability to give the best right. care. Right. Mm-hmm. And as care evolves, yeah. sometimes the old laws are not uh, appropriate anymore. Right. right. Um, sometimes new laws are needed. So mm-hmm. those that's piece of and then also to make sure that they are paid fairly. Yeah, because a very large percentage of all the patients that are served in this country mm-hmm. by hospitals are paid for by the government, mm-hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, mm-hmm. Tricare, VA. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are just so many mm-hmm. forms of insurance that mm-hmm. are essentially run by the government, the state yeah. health plan, yeah. for yeah. example. So, yeah. talking about that is a, a big piece of it as well. And what's yeah. sad about that is a lot of those uh, those things that you mentioned, they don't have equal rights to all levels of care. Yeah. Right. So that's another place where they really come in and help out. You know, Medicaid patients, they're not able to usually get rehab services because they don't pay for that. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Most of the patients that need to be in inpatient rehab have Medicaid, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's where, you know, th- again, that advocacy really helps out with trying to get, again, it's about the patient. Patient first. How can we get everybody the, the accessibility to the care they deserve? Yeah. Yeah. Sometime in a future podcast, it might be useful. I've got a talk that people really love. Um, it's about the history of, of our health policy in this country, mm. how we built this yeah. from the Second World War forward. Mm. And it's, it's really fun to unpack and to understand. And you never hear about it from policymakers. You never hear mm. about it from the media. You don't know that our healthcare system really came out of the Second World War, out of the end mm. of the war, and how we built it from there. And it, it was all, in my view, um, the, the government solving near-term problems, and they solved this problem, and then it just eventually becomes this patchwork quilt. But it's never, it was not built as a comprehensive model that's supposed to work together mm. seamlessly. It was all kind of add-on, you know, right. like yeah. a, a home that's had mm. 15 different owners put different things right. on it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the net result of it is that we are very different than every other developed nation in the world mm-hmm. in one regard. And the simple way to think about it is this. In America, if you have insurance, generally speaking, if your physician says something is medically necessary, it will be covered. But not everybody has insurance. Mm-hmm. All right, so the rest of the developed ne- world says we cover everybody, but not everything. And in the U.S., we say we cover everything, but not everybody. everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the simplest way to understand. That's a great way of looking at it. How yeah, yeah. what what Josh just said. I think that just took took a lot of years of me trying to figure out yeah. all in one conversation. Which yeah. is so funny because I was going to ask a question. You have a daughter who is now living in France, and yeah. a lot of the conversations of people her age and younger is healthcare difference mm-hmm. between America yes. and the rest of the world. And I was going to say, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, what's one of our strengths? Interesting. And you went, yeah. Boop. Yeah, well, interestingly, <laughs> she just had her wisdom teeth taken out. In France? Uh, yeah. Okay. And her, as I said, her 
boyfriend is a um, a young surgeon. Did he? And was he, he the didn't one to do, do it? Okay, no, I was he had say, a friend. Isn't there like a conflict of interest there? <laughs> no, no, no. He he he, um, he had a friend who did it for. But uh, the the thing that was interesting is they do not send patients home with strong pain medicines. That is a you know opioids are yeah, a major yeah, problem major in this country. Yeah. She had her teeth out, and so our our um, my wife and I asked her, you know, how's your pain management? There were four impacted uh, wisdom teeth, Ooh. and so sometimes that hurts. Sure. She said, I was okay. I just had ibuprofen one day, and then I was good. But she said, you know, she's got a really wicked sense of humor. She said, over here, they don't send you home with meds. They give you some applesauce and a pep talk and wish you luck. <laughs> that's wild. Applesauce like, and a pep talk. Yeah. That's how we need it. That sounds like a southern person. Like, <laughs> I, just she, gave, she I just gave her an applesauce yeah. and pep talk. And like, you go to school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they do not send narcotics home. Yeah, wow. you cannot get narcotics. If you need narcotics, you stay in the hospital mm. until you don't need narcotics anymore. Yeah. So yeah. you contrast that. We 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 as Americans tend to look down on a lot of other nations' mm. healthcare systems. I don't know that that's rational if we it's really not. unpack them. Um, I mean, where are we ranked right now? It's not that great. We're oh, getting real in this podcast. We lo- sure are. Lo- uh, shortest <laughs> life expectancy, poorest health on the way to our earlier demise wow. than any of the other developed yeah. nations. We're, so, no, we're not that great. <laughs> we're, so, we're really good at rescue care. Yeah. Okay. W- what we want as Americans is to be able a, a to live however we want. Mm-hmm. And then if it don't has, mess something with happens, me, yeah. I'm not, I'm going to smoke while I'm riding my motor- motorcycle without a helmet and don't tell me I can't, you know, yeah. but something happens to me. Somebody better come in here and fix it right now. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world is like, you need to take care of yourself. We'll help you stay healthy. If you need a hip replacement, you may have to wait on it a while. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. if you want a knee replacement, you need to pay cash for that. So we just we have a different view of it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I would just say that, as in so many things, it's, it's dangerous to think that your way is always the best. We really need to learn from others. I, I actually like, we were talking about Australia before this podcast. They're, they have some, some models that, are, that make more sense than ours. Mm-hmm. They... they put everybody on government insurance. They actually call it Medicare. And then they let, but it doesn't cover everything. And if you want more than that, you buy more. Buy insurance on top of it. That does mm. help. It, it's, you know. Yeah. But everybody in the country has basic access to care. Right. right. So every nation, every Western nation and their policymakers have to put their heads on the pillow at night and be able to sleep. Most nations say, we're going to cover everybody up to a point, And beyond that, we just can't afford to give them everything. Right. Our nation says, we're not doing it that way. People who don't have insurance just need to go to the emergency room. As a result, our nation deposits a lot of its societal problems in the emergency room. Mm, if you guys yep. want to come see the opioids, the child abuse, the mm. you know all the problems of our society, yeah, that, health, that's a yeah. place to see it, mental health. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we, we just have gone about it a different way. Series of unrelated policy decisions have produced this patchwork quilt, and um, it's pretty hard to tease out. You got a lot of yeah, entrenched yeah. interests yeah. and politics in it. Yeah, I, I think for for our listeners and our viewers, I think that from a leadership perspective, they could hear you talk about all of that, and and even not pay attention to the fact that, like, they may assume that with you working with the hospital association, that all of that is just done from an office, and you hear from people like Josh and and, and his colleagues. And you take all that information, and then you, you go about working with lawmakers and working with other organizations. Uh, but I would imagine your role really needs to be a boots-on-the-ground role. What does that look like for you to be in hospitals? Because you're not, you're not operating. You're not running a hospital. That's right. But 
what does it look like to be on the ground with Josh and his colleagues? Well, first of all, my background helps. Okay, so we haven't really talked about that, but I'll tell you, I, I studied government at the University of Virginia, and then I went to law school at South Carolina and became a healthcare attorney. So I, I represented mm -hmm. hospitals. Yeah. One of those hospitals, Toomey Healthcare System in Sumter, now part mm -hmm. of Prisma Health, recruited me to, to go to work in their administration. So I spent three years as a, what is effectively a chief operating officer, had a, all the non-nursing units that reported to me, uh, emergency room surgery, dietary, housekeeping, EMS, uh, physician recruitment, all that kind of stuff. So when I talked to Josh, that background really helps yeah. me understand, I, oh yeah, I've recruited doctors. Yeah. I've worried about whether you have coverage for the the staff on the unit. Um, so that background, it's, it's, it would be, it's pretty tough for some of my peers around the country to, to be effective advocates when they don't really understand mm. what it's like to help to help run a hospital. Right. Uh, but I do have to get out and go sit down with Josh and say, all right, what, you know, what's going on? What are you worried about? And they are all worried, not surprisingly, about their ability to recruit staff. That right. is a national yes. problem in many industries. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that being on the road, also meeting with my peers around the country is an important thing to hear what are the regional differences? What are the mm -hmm. priorities? Are we like other states? Or are we unlike mm -hmm. other states? And on most issues, healthcare in most um, states is, is very similar, mm -hmm. though we are in a non-union state, and that, I think, makes life simpler here mm -hmm. uh, because the union activity in a lot of the states is, is just complicates yeah. the ability to run a um, healthcare It's already too system. complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You talked a little bit about your background. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? How sure. you, uh, even with the association, the ways in which, uh, you know, influences on your leadership style. What what does that look like over the years? I know that you had interned for Strom Thurmond. Yeah. And just some of that background that has built up your leadership style over the years. And even real quick too, if you can hit on, I know you did some stuff with Clemson. Yeah. At some point, because yeah, from a development side of things, I too. I worked there. I'll, I'll yeah. unpack it. Yeah. So I was born in New York City. Um, even though both my parents were Southerners, <laughs> they they met in New York. My dad was an FBI agent working for Hoover after the Second World War. He was wow. a Cold War. Um, I, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Bridge of Spies with Tom yes. Hanks. My yes. dad, uh, that, that Russian spy, my dad arrested that spy. Wow. And I heard that story when I was little, but when the movie came out, I was like, oh, Wait, yeah, that sounds familiar. That. You're wow. actually kind of cool, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I, I was born up there. We came back here when I was two. I grew up in in Columbia, and went to um, University of Virginia uh, for undergrad. Mm -hmm. Thought I was going to be a doctor. I started out as a chemistry major. First semester, I was like, "What am I thinking? I don't <laughs> yeah. love this stuff." And switched to government, American government, which was a cool thing to study at UVA, which oh, is yeah. a oh, yeah. kind of a Big. core uh, institution of our mm -hmm. nation founded by Mr. Jefferson. Um, but then I came back to law school at South Carolina, and I found that I really enjoyed the healthcare issues. And so I did get to work in healthcare, just not as a clinician. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was really pleased to do that. So I practiced law three years. And one of the big areas for me, I didn't go to court. I, I was all about helping people like Josh. They would call me and say, I've got this problem. How do I sort that out? So it was giving advice. Mm -hmm. And I learned... Our firm was called um, Nexon Pruitt. It just merged. It's now Maynard Nexon. But our business card said attorneys and counselors in law. And I wondered, hmm. so yeah. what's the distinction? Yeah. Attorney is someone who speaks on behalf of another, and a counselor is somebody who gives advice, right? So I yeah. realized, okay, well, I'm one of the counselors because I'm not going to court 
for these uh, organizations. But I would, uh, you know, give that kind of advice. And a lot of what I did in my career was with death and dying because that was a major <coughs> innovation from the Supreme Court. The, there was a case of Nancy Cruzan who, um, whose parents wanted to discontinue her care. She was on life support and had no prospect of ever surviving, but she was young and would stay on life support for years. So the law changed, and that became something that I, I was to learn and, and advise hospitals and physicians and nurses about. So that was, that was really helpful. So as a young person, I learned a lot about death and dying, which mm -hmm. most young people don't contend with very much, mm -hmm. and you know that as a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, most of us don't like to think about it at all, ever, but uh, that was a big piece. Then I went to work um, at one of my clients, I mentioned that earlier, a hospital over in Sumter, and they gave me um, an opportunity eventually to, to manage m many, many of the parts of the hospital, and I grew a lot from that. The uh, CEO there taught me great lessons. Um, he had been my client at the law firm. Now he was my boss at the hospital. Mm -hmm. he, he taught me, for example, the platinum rule. You've heard of the golden rule, mm -hmm. treat, do unto others as you yeah, yeah. Um, would have them do unto you. I'm intrigued. The, the platinum, platinum rule is um, do unto others as they want done unto them. Not as you would uh, want done unto uh, you, but as they want. <laughs> Once again, everyone. Oh. Okay. I mean, it was, it was it We're was learning powerful. so much. You know, he's like, he, and I think that was... Um, that was kind of a foreshadowing of what we're dealing with now in terms of mm. the fact that we are so much more diverse as a country than, yeah. or as a region than we might have been 20 or sure. 30 years ago. So yeah. our hospitals see people who are from different cultures. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Everywhere. What, what is it that they care about? What, it may not be what we care about. So you really need to ask them, you know, what's most important to you? And, and I think um, one of the big advances in, mm. in patient care in the last few years has been a greater willingness for the medical community to say, we're not just going to do everything that we think could be done medically for you. Tell us what is important to you. Do you want to make it to your grandson's wedding? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to get back to your, you know, your normal capacity? What, what's important? What do you want? Let us help you accomplish that. We're not, you're not like our, um, our ward and we will do what we think we need to do to you. You need to tell us what's important. Right. And so he hmm. kind of foreshadowed that. Mm -hmm. um, then I went, I'd been there a couple of years, and one of our physicians there was a board member at Clemson. And he, um, it's funny, we were talking about faith issues. I, I w had just prayed the night before for, for a variety of reasons that um, I want to be wherever the Lord wants me to be and whoever wants me to be with. Mm -hmm. The next day, this physician Amen. comes yeah. to me and says, have you ever thought about working at Clemson? I grew up in Columbia, cheered against Clemson. I went to UVA, cheered against Clemson. I went to South Carolina Law School, hey, cheered God against Clemson. Has yeah. funny he has sense a of wicked humor. sense of humor. Right? <laughs> so I thought, wait, seriously? And, wow. uh, From so, calves to tigers. Yeah, no doubt. So in, I ended up working at Clemson. I was the secretary of the board of trustees there for eight years and worked with President Jim Barker. Uh, it was an extraordinary experience. They made me part of the Clemson family. Mm. I am definitely part of the Clemson family now and, and love it. Um, so I, but I, I got tremendous experience working with a very high profile board and mm. some great business leaders. And uh, that was great. I got to see state government in action. I got to see higher ed in action. And then after eight years there, 
the CEO I had worked for at the hospital, who had been my client in my first job, he was the chairman of the board of the hospital association when this job came open, and he said, you should apply for this. Hmm. So I credit him with like yeah. three of my four roles wow. he had a hand in and was a, is still a great friend. But um, So for me, the government major, hospital attorney, hospital administrator, worked in state government, it really kind of all comes together hmm. yeah. for me, and I, that's yeah. why I have, I have not left. It is... Um, it's kind of a perfect combination of hmm. background for the job that yeah. the hospital association needs. That's awesome. And, and again, relationships, you as a relational leader and, and growing under uh, you know, various leaders, having those relationships leads to yeah. some of the roles that you've had. Oh, no question. Several of the roles that no you've question. had. And I just think it's important for people to understand that while we are, we are professionals, you know, we have a professional responsibility. Um, our relationships come with us. Yeah. And what we decide to invest in those relationships or not invest in those relationships. Oh, there's no question. One of the, I, I meet with a lot of young people. Um, a lot of, in the last few years, a lot of people who are studying health administration. They want to know, you know, give me advice about getting a job. And one of the things I tell them is everything you do every day um, is watched by a lot of people. Yep. And you never know who is going to hire you in the future. Mm -hmm. So treat everybody you work with as if hmm. they may be able to offer you a job. And, yep. and, uh, and the, the, the converse is true. If you loaf one day and don't show up, mm -hmm. somebody who could have hired you is not going to have you on their radar screen. Yeah, that's right. Very true. That's right. And, so, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I was going to say, it, when our, what we do with Viewpoint, we often, you know, when we're doing sessions with people like we did with Adam Toma in the podcast before this, is we ask, like, what drives you? So one of the things you talked about was what you've been doing, your background, how you ended up where you are. But through all of that, there's one of the most connective tissues is you as a person. So right. what has driven you all these years to continue to op walk into these opportunities that, like you said, this one guy helped you basically get three of the roles that you've been in. Mm -hmm. But what's driven you to continue to keep those feet walking forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like those gu like guiding principles yeah. Yeah. that guide you. Yeah, those, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, th I think... Um, one of the lessons I learned working in the hospital is that thought leaders drive organizations. And so, uh, I, you know, I have learned to look for thought leaders. Like, as a lawyer, typically you think, all right, how many people do I need to vote for something to make it go forward? I need a simple majority. It's 50% plus one. Yeah. What I learned in the, in the hospital working with a medical staff is you don't need 50% plus one. You need the, the five or ten people who wow. really make the group go. Yes. Yeah. People who are who enjoy incredible respect among their peers, they are the thought leaders. Mm -hmm. So that's been one of the guiding principles. Um, another one is I just I want to make a difference in the community, mm -hmm. and everybody can do that in their own way, right? And so for me, it has been the ability to to work in healthcare. Now, Josh and I both would I think we'd both say, man, healthcare has a lot of problems, and hospitals <laughs> are not perfect organizations. No. We do not always get it right. Mm -mm. But I get up every day knowing that we go to work to help people in our community in one of their times of greatest need. Mm -hmm. you know? So the days that I think, oh, man, it's hard representing hospitals, I ask myself, would we be better off without them? Ooh. Absolutely not. <laughs> so we just have <laughs> to keep trying to get better and better mm -hmm. and better. And it's a human endeavor to take care of people, and it's going to be imperfect, right? Mm -hmm. So we just have to keep focusing on improvement. Love that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. those are some of the things that... Uh, I also think, you know, I, there are some quotes that I like. People 
um, may not remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important, so how you true. treat people. Um, and uh, there's another thing that, an I, that I learned when I was at Clemson, and that is uh, the concept of a vacuum of leadership. Hmm. You know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? right. Well, I, I would tweak that and say human nature abhors a leadership vacuum. Hmm. When, when there is an obvious need for somebody to lead... And the person who's supposed to be leading doesn't. Oh yeah, somebody else is going to step in there. Yeah, oh, 100%. and so you've seen that with oh, Ward. Yeah. You, I yeah. mean, if, if Josh needs to address something at his place and he doesn't, and he lets it go long enough, yep. somebody else is going to jump in. Yep. Yeah, maybe his boss, maybe a board, it may mm-hmm. be his team. So development of leaders is is just so important. And oh, you yeah. guys talk about that in yeah. in this podcast mm-hmm. about leadership and development of yeah. people, but. Um, you know, I think if you have the ability to lead, you got to engage and yeah. try to make a difference in your community. So those are some of the so to add, to add on to that, you know, so you're 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 in a very unique position because you get to see and interact with many different types of leaders within the state, mm. right? And we are in such a um, volatile time, I would say, in our healthcare world, right? In, in the healthcare systems, we're we're really struggling with many different things and the the pandemic has just completely exposed that even more than anything. And I think it's so important because we're a struggling field to to, to keep people, let alone recruit new people. And I think that we we look at things uh, in all different ways, but I really think it comes down to the leadership. You know, like you said, how, how, how do you make someone feel? So looking at it from a healthcare perspective, from a from a health system perspective, for a new person trying to come in and work there, they want to feel like they are somebody, mm. like they have a voice, like um, that there's a positive culture, that they feel safe. Um, so I, I would like to know from you, because you get to interact with so many different leaders, what are some things that you see in some of your local leaders that are successful, mm. and what are some of those things that are not? Man, that's a great question. Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. No, I, I think one, one of the... Hopefully I'm on creating, the good side of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you are. Was, was that, was that hey, you take, asking about yourself? Take that question back. There's I don't a guy that. at the Encompass Hospital in Greenville. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I was, I was <laughs> hoping you would go there with the accent. Absolutely. He's a little ripper. <laughs> um, oh, no, I think that, uh, that I think the best, law, the best leaders, uh, number one, you got to set a vision for the organization. People have yeah. to believe in that vision. you yeah. got to bring them along. Yeah. But secondly, they got to feel like they have a role to play mm-hmm. and a part in that accomplishment of that vision. And that is that is a constant mm. um, body of work, keeping mm. people on um, the team who engage in the vision mm. and seeing. And I think that's one of the, the goals of leaders is to keep reminding people, hey, yeah. today is hard and mm. you're dealing with a patient today who's difficult and giving you you know, a lot of grief and all. But remember why, why we're here. We're here yep. to restore people to function mm. in a rehab Absolutely. Hospital. So what's the vision? Um, Another thing is to make people, I think, feel as though they um, can grow and uh, are fulfilled. And that's that's been kind of challenging, I think, for people in, in my generation. I don't feel old, but I've watched some of the people coming out of school, and they there are people who feel like I really should be a vice president pretty soon, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and to don't look manage, at me. don't look at me. Listen here. I'm not looking at you, but <laughs> to, we talk about that a lot. I know, yeah. We do. We do talk yeah. about that. To a lot. manage expectations. I mean, a yeah. lot of people who are in in senior leadership roles mm-hmm. worked a long time to get yes. there. Now, yep. when I was young, I used to think, man, why I want to do that. Well, I'm getting a chance to do a lot of that now. Yeah. But um, 
it's it is it takes time and mm-hmm. it takes experience and and leadership um, best leaders are seasoned mm. individuals yes. and they're seasoned with failure and they learn from failure mm, you know right. and it's not just stop looking at a me, bunch man. of success <laughs> but the, um, but there are scars yeah. like they have scars yeah. that they're able to say yeah. hey this is how i got that one yeah. this is how i got that one exactly yes. share the story and, and be yeah. able to give that Correct. understanding and example from their life and they learn right. from absolutely from yeah. everything they do successes right. and failures yeah. right. I, you know those are those are some of the things i mean i, I think great le- leaders <clears throat> share credit widely and yes. and take the blame themselves mm-hmm. yeah there is nothing better at building loyalty from your team than if if Josh screws up and I take the blame for that. Man, he's going to remember that forever. Absolutely, mm-hmm. he is Absolutely. never going to. You know, he's always going to have my back. Yes, right. Because he knows, you know, he was the one who. Yeah. But I took that for him. Yeah. And um, and you know, one of the lessons I've learned from a, a really good friend, one of my career mentors, uh, is that you earn the right to fail. Mm-hmm. So you got to put deposits in the bank, yep, right. and w- in terms of your brand, yes. and when you do, you got a little bit more room to take risks because you're not going to get fired the day that something happens that didn't go the way right, you yeah. want. Right. Um, and this is an environment in which the the status quo is, or, or what was done in the past, is not the <laughs> template for how to succeed in the future. Yeah, so yes. there. You don't want to be paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be stupid and make dumb mistakes, but you don't want to be paralyzed. So there are a lot more people taking chances that they yeah. might not have taken in the past because there is no obvious right. answer, yeah, right, right or wrong. So sure. let's try That's something. Very good point. And, and uh, th- those are a couple of observations I've seen. With Great. Yeah, leadership. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I also really appreciate the fact that you're able to, to communicate <clears throat> for Josh how to say Clemson. Because he says Clemson with a Z, Clemson. with a Z. Uh, he could he could be on a national uh, telecast then because yeah. that was what a lot of those guys Clemson, oh, yeah. the Clemson yeah. Tigers. Yeah, but you you give it the, you, you put I, that P in there, baby. Clemson, yeah. that Clemson. Oh, Clem- Clemson. Also like Jill. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you please Jewel. learn how to say my name? Jewel. We've been in partnership before. <laughs> that, that, that Pennsylvania. I'm from Western Pennsylvania. Well, I wanted to affirm hey. you, uh, Thornton, because you know it's obvious that. The reason you're successful is that you've lived all these things that you're saying, all the quotes, all the all the little right. kind of piffy sayings that you've been saying in your life. And even as a father, it's very evident, too, that you've been doing that, too, because your kids would not be in the position they are and where they're at now without you being that in their lives and being able to own, like you said, taking the blame, owning yourself, mm-hmm. letting them have those opportunities to fail safely, and then living with integrity. And and so it's really cool to see, and I, I hope that people are listening can see it too, that yes, it does take a while sometimes to get to where you may want to go eventually, but right. if you live in such a way that Thornton does, you will eventually get there if that's your goal, because those who live with integrity and that character and live for the higher calling that you do with your faith, that they will eventually be put in those positions, because those are the people that people want to lead. They, you want that balanced, stable man of integrity in your leadership, not the person that cares about themselves and their self-interest. So just an affirmation well, to you. Well, that's really kind of you to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do agree that there may be no more important thing for a leader to have than integrity. If you yes. don't have that, then you have no say keel. It, say it again for them. They need to know The that. most important thing you need to have as a leader is <laughs> I love integrity. Little, Absolutely. A little Trump there. A little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm the one, George, the George most integritous person here. <laughs> Not going to do it. No, no, no. That was Dana Carvey. That's right. I was about to say, what are you Dana Carvey? Yeah. Nailed it right yeah. there. Uh, you know, one of the things to, to reinforce <laughs> that, you, I remember 
my first year practicing law, I really, I watched the partner <coughs> I worked for go to board meetings at hospitals. And I thought, man, I, I wish I were going to board meetings. And I, but I wasn't invited to the board meeting. So I just kept doing what I was doing. Well, board service has become a huge part of my mm. career. Um, I have served on more than 50 boards. I wow. have advised dozens more. Um, so what you, I mean, if you work for it, mm. but the first boards I was on were maybe, you know, my local homeowners association or my yeah. uh, UVA alumni association in, in the community. And eventually a board, you know, that was business oriented and then more and more and more. And when you learn the discipline and you learn how to do it and you do it with integrity, people say, hey, I, I, that's somebody I need on whatever. So uh, it doesn't, you don't go from never having done it right. to doing it at the highest level. Yep. This is like athletics, yeah. right? You, yeah. Every kid wishes, a lot of kids wish they could play pro sports. Right. Yeah, because the truth is that person that wants to be in that spot and doesn't want to do anything in between, when they get into that room, if that were to happen, mm -hmm. they would fall apart. They are Absolutely. not equipped. They're right? not equipped. Yep. Because and it takes all the scars and the experience yeah, those failures to, to be and, yeah. able to. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah, yeah rightfully that's right. So. Yeah. Well, how can they learn more about what you're doing and about the association? If anybody, any of our listeners or our viewers want to do that. Well, they can go to our website. It's scha.org okay. South Carolina Hospital Association scha.org and our um, mission, our members all that's described on there. You can find a hospital if you need to find one close to you um, and of course you can always call us we'll help you find if you need care um, right. but that, that's how you can do that that's great. Well, Thornton, thanks for being with us and yes. sharing some laughs, but also sharing some wisdom that I think our listeners and our viewers can can really pull from uh, and apply to yeah. what they're doing. Absolutely. And thank you to Sit and Spin doing. Studios, our sponsor yes. for today's podcast, right. for their wonderful studio, great service, even you in the back, wonderful job. But yeah. thank you so much for Sit and Spin Studios for hosting us. Hey, subscribe. If you're not subscribed, click yes. the notification bell on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more amazing people like Thornton. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. See y'all. Thanks, guys. Thank you.